live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 5. Hello everyone, and thank you for once again joining me here in the Dark Paranormal. Again, as I like to do at the start of each episode, I'd like to thank everyone who reached out following last week's episode, where one of our listeners encountered something very old and very evil in the Black Forest in Germany. We've had a number of suggestions about what the entity might have been that that couple experienced. Everything from the mythical Herm the Hunter to the idea, like a lot of you did say, that maybe there was someone buried in that back garden and that the cross being thrown around was their way of bringing attention to their plight. It's certainly been one of the most commented on episodes of this season so far. In today's True Paranormal Experience, we investigate the common trope that maybe your relatives who are on the other side keep an eye out for you in this life. Or do we just comfort ourselves with that idea, when in reality, that loving whisper in your ear may not be from the person you think it is. Don't forget, if you have a comment on any of our shows, you can drop us an email, thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. But before we get to today's true paranormal experience, I of course need to thank our wonderful Patreons. We've built up a wonderful society of paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon, and we'd like to extend an invitation just to you. When you join our Patreon team, Not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and days before anybody else, you also get access to a Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites, where I look at some of the stories which didn't quite make the main show. Head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal, just like these wonderful new team members have done. Julie Bowden, Kelly, Lynn, Ivy Ortiz, Julie Davis, Megan McIntyre, Virginia Frost, David, Jody, Jesse Catalano, Victoria Bush, Johnny Badback, LLKJH, Summer Schoenbeck, Rhonda Sheen, Lowbrow78, Sophia, Darren Steed, Christina Bianca, Amy and Erin Turner. Thank you so much guys, it's wonderful to have you all on board and I hope you enjoy the early releases and the extra shows. Come join us, patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. But right now, lower the lights. Make yourself comfortable and leave your disbelief at the door as we hear all about a dark curse. It's taken me some time to finally get all of this down and send it in. Writing this has been somewhat cathartic for me in all honesty. It's been such an intrusive memory for me that I'm hoping this will bring some closure. Some closure I so desperately need. I've changed names and places in this retelling of my experience as I want to remain anonymous. But for what it's worth, this is my true paranormal experience. My name is Lisa, and my twin sister Laura is the best friend I've ever had in my life. It's true what they say about twins. There's a connection, a connection much deeper and spiritual than with other siblings. Although we were non-identical in our looks, our personalities were one and the same. We would do everything together, 
go shopping, go for walks in the forest or on the beach, share our deepest and darkest secrets, talk about boys. We'd also comfort each other, knowing full well when the other would be sad or upset, without a word needing to be said. Many a heartbroken night was spent crying in the other's lap after some stupid teenage relationship had broken down. But then Laura got sick, really sick. She had a rare type of leukemia, and I watched as my beautiful sister was ravaged by the awful, evil illness. She literally withered away in front of my eyes. And ten days before our 16th birthday, Laura died. As you could imagine, I was broken, as were my parents. My parents were broken to the point they divorced within a year of Laura's death. They couldn't look at each other without fighting, both of them harbouring some resentment about how certain things were handled during Laura's life, or with her treatment, or with her funeral. It was hard to keep track on what that particular week's argument was about, but it was always to do with my sister in some shape or form. As soon as college came around, I moved away. The college, which I won't name, was the one that both myself and Laura had agreed we would both go to when the time came. And I did feel like she'd come with me. And I mean that literally. You see, things started to happen in my bedroom of the shared house I was staying in. The first thing I noticed was a picture frame with a photo of me and Laura one day just plopped on the bed next to me as I sat there drying my hair in the mirror. I turned off the hairdryer and looked around. The picture was originally on the windowsill, but my bed was against the opposite wall. If it would have just fell, it would have landed on the floor and certainly not bounced up and over onto my bed. The next incident was one night after I had come home from a house party Yes, I'd been drinking, but I never drank to excess. I was lying in bed and was thinking about how cold the room was. I reached out of the covers and felt my nose. It was ice cold, despite the heating being on. I pulled the covers up to my shoulders and I let go. But the covers continued to be pulled, until they covered my chin. I initially froze... However, something in me just knew it was Laura, looking out for me, keeping me safe from wherever she was. Over the next few weeks, there were other things that let me know she was around. A waft of her perfume, for example, which just fleeted past my nose as I was in the bathroom. Or another time when I lost my hairband. Laura would always put hairs on the bedroom door handle, whereas I would put mine on the side. One morning I couldn't find it, and a voice in my head told me to check the door handle. Of course, there it was. Over lunch one day at college, a group of my friends were talking about going into town to see a medium. Apparently this medium was the best one around, and she had a waiting list as long as your arm for people to see her. They'd booked a month or so before and were due to go that weekend. Do you want to tag along? There may not be space to see her, but the town's pretty fun and we're going there afterwards. Sure, why not, I said. 
Part of me wanted to see the medium, to ask about Laura, to see if she was okay. But the other part of me knew the answer. She was okay. I could feel her with me. I didn't need some stranger to confirm it. But still, I decided if there was a space going to see her, then I would take it. The five of us travelled in one car to the medium's house, which was only a five-minute drive from the town centre. The other four, of course, had bookings, and I was just going to try my luck. We walked up the path of this huge early 1900s home and knocked on the door. An old lady answered and shown us through to a waiting room. It was set up like some kind of doctor's surgery, pamphlets on bereavement, leaflets for a local spiritualist church. Clearly a professional operation here, I thought. The other four confirmed their appointments with this old lady, who kindly informed me there was no open slots available. Great, I thought. I'll just wait in the car then, eh? I said to the others and headed for the door. As I did, another door opened, and a man almost knocked into me as he rushed out of the room. Oh, I'm so sorry, he said. It's fine, I instinctively replied back and looked up at the man. This was Jonathan, and there was an instant connection between us. We stood outside the medium's house and talked. So, who are you trying to reach, he asked, nodding towards the house. Oh, no one, I part lied. I've just came with friends. We're heading into town afterwards. How about you? I asked. He looked kind of sheepish and kicked around at the dirt. Just family, grandparents, my uncle. Anyone who wanted to pop through, I guess. We chatted a bit about the paranormal. What better place, right? And, without mentioning Laura, I said, I think I have a spirit looking after me. His face went kind of serious. Oh, you want to make sure it stays that way and it doesn't turn bad on you. I felt emotionally wounded at this. That was my sister he was talking about. Still, I guess he didn't know that, so I just nodded. Good point. I changed the topic to music and we chatted some more. We ended up moving over to the wall of the house and sitting there laughing and joking for ages literally until my friends came out. As we said our goodbyes, he called me back over and we swapped numbers. I liked him. I liked him a lot. And I got the sense he liked me. Yes, today was a good day. As we got back to the car, all four of my friends were in shock. Three of them were in tears. Apparently this medium had lived up to her reputation. She was unreal, said one. She knew things about me I've never told anyone, said another. You should book as soon as you can. I just nodded, but all I could think about was Jonathan and the connection that we had. That evening, as I lay in bed, I heard a noise. Like feet shuffling outside my door. I knew everyone else was in bed, but still, this shuffling noise right up against my door as if someone was walking continuously into the locked frame. I quickly thought, well, if it's a ghost, it's Laura, so I've nothing to be afraid of, and I closed my eyes. However, as I lay there, 
I began to think why Laura was now outside my room, seemingly attempting to get in, when every other occurrence had taken place inside my room. I sat back up and looked at the door, but the noise had stopped. After a few minutes of staring into the silence, I eventually drifted off to sleep. Over the next few weeks, me and Jonathan rarely hit it off. We'd go bowling, the cinema, all the usual datey stuff. He was handsome, funny and intelligent. But every now and again, he would seem, well, distracted. One particular day, whilst enjoying a coffee, he went into one of those distracted moods. We were talking, looking back, not coincidentally, about religion. And because I'm that way inclined, I brought up the fact that Satanism is just as much a religion as any other. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but I muttered something along the lines of, which is why it's all probably a load of shit. He snapped out of his distraction and rather pointedly and aggressively said, Are you saying you're ignorant to anything you can't touch or see? Uh, no, I finally muttered followed by, where did that come from? He was instantly apologetic and forced to smile. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't get much sleep last night and I'm a bit grouchy, he said, holding his hands up in a faux apology. This should have been a red flag, really, but it wasn't. Instead of listening to my gut and getting the hell out of there, I think I'd done something stupid like punch him in the arm, and we both laughed it off. Meanwhile, the activity in the house seemed to be maintaining its eerie trajectory. One night, Jonathan had left and we'd been watching a film together. When I got back to my room after seeing him out, I started picking up crisp packets in the cans when something hit the floor by the windowsill. It was the picture of me and Laura. This time, though, it landed flat on the floor instead of being placed on the bed. I picked it up and thankfully there was no damage. The only change was the small passport-sized photo of Jonathan and I that I'd jammed into the corner of the frame. This had fell out on landing and pushed itself under the bed. I reached under to get it and placed it back in the frame. As I did so, someone knocked on my bedroom door. My housemates were all at home, so I just figured one of them needed something. So I jumped over the bed and opened the door. Hey, what can I... No one was there. The hallway was empty. I'd heard no footsteps running away after the knock. No one running downstairs. Or the closing of any other bedrooms on the floor. Again, I just stood there peeking left and right. Before convincing myself I must have imagined it. And... While still listening out for any movement, I slowly closed the door. I jumped as my phone went off and I pulled it out of my pocket. It was my friend, Kylie. The call started off innocently enough, but I could tell she was waiting to get to a point. And then she got there. So, I'm about to say something and take this with a pinch of salt, obviously. But... A friend of mine said a friend of hers used to go out with Jonathan and that he was bad news. Obviously not a conversation I was going to enjoy having. 
Bad news how exactly? I asked. Well, she didn't say. I just mentioned you were going out with him. And she went, ooh, he's bad news, him. She should be careful. Great. Clearly intrigued, I asked, and you didn't ask why? No, I I did, replied Kylie. And she literally said, oh, I'm not even going to talk about him, no way. I just made some kind of verbal nod down the phone. Anyway, Kylie continued, it's played on my mind since she said it and I just wanted to make sure you were okay, that's all. Well, I certainly wasn't now. Thanks, Kylie, I replied, and we ended the call. Oh, how I needed Laura now. Just to talk to her and explain what's been going on. To hear her voice and know she had my best intentions at heart. A chill ran down my spine. Maybe Laura was trying to tell me Jonathan was no good. Maybe that's why her presence seemed to have altered. Was she warning me in the only way she could? The replaying of the two moving pictures kept going through my mind. First, just a picture of me and her, delicately placed by my side. Next, that same picture, but now with Jonathan in the corner, seemingly thrown to the ground and his image thrown under my bed. The knockings. She'd just been trying to draw attention to it all along. Of course, this isn't exactly evidence to confront anyone with, but it did mean I would be on my guard whenever I was around Jonathan. A few nights later, he came round for a film and was once again clearly in a distracted mood. He seemed agitated. I couldn't tell if he was acting like someone with something to hide or if I was just imposing that on him after forming my theory about Laura. We ordered takeout and I got the call to say it was outside, so I jumped up and headed to the stairs. I then realised I'd left my purse on the bed, so I quickly doubled back and burst into the bedroom. Jonathan was stood up by my bed. A panicked, caught-in-the-act look on his face. What are you doing? I asked. He stumbled for an answer but then blurted out, There was a spider, I was just trying to get it, that's all. The way he said it and the look on his face combined for a zero in believability. But I couldn't see anything disturbed. His phone was still on the floor where it had been when we were sitting there, so he couldn't have been secretly texting or anything like that. So given I'd caught him in the act of doing nothing, I grabbed my purse and went to go and get the takeaway. That night after Jonathan left, was the scariest night of my life. As I lay in bed, there began a rattling noise from the windowsill. I looked over and could see the picture frame vibrating. The little porcelain ornaments I kept on either side of it were completely stationary, but the picture was moving, as if electricity was running through it. I pulled up the bedsheet to my mouth in fear. Just as it reached the edge of the windowsill, it stopped. I stared intently at it, waiting for its next move when someone pounded on my door so hard the frame seemed to move. Looking underneath the door, I could see the shadow of two feet stood directly against the other side of the door. 
three much lighter knocks. Hello? I barely whimpered out, but there was no response. I watched as the shadow of the feet moved slowly to the right and away. The picture to my left clattered to the floor again. Stop it! I shouted out and clambered to switch the light on. Again, the picture was face down and the smaller photo of me and Jonathan had been sent flying across the floor. Laura, I said out loud. I get it, but please stop. You're scaring me now. There was silence. I started crying and I got back into bed. I left the light on that night and barely slept a wink. The next morning I lay in bed, more tired than I'd ever been in my life. Images of Laura kept running through my head. Her apparent guiding spirit was clearly angry with me seeing Jonathan. But I was still no clearer on exactly what he was doing that was bad. As I lay there, I thought about calling Kylie and demanding to know exactly what she'd heard about him. But I'm not a confrontational person, so the idea didn't sit well with me. But then I had a thought. I should book in with that medium. By all accounts, she was excellent, and maybe she could speak to Laura for me. Give me some idea about what the hell was going on. I reached over to get my phone so I could call and book an appointment. But in my fatigued state, I pushed it off the table and it fell and bounced under my headboard. Typical. I pulled the mattress back and jammed my arm down, my fingers scrabbling about to find it. My fingers hit it, but they also hit something else. Something light, like paper. I grabbed my phone and I pulled it out, and then I put my hand back down to grab this little piece of, more than likely, rubbish. When I pulled my hand out, it was a very small, delicately folded piece of paper, with a strange symbol like a gate drawn on the front in red pen. Opening it up, my breath caught in my chest. In block capitals in a deep red ink was my full name, including my middle name, and underneath that, my date of birth. A triangle was drawn around both of these, and that same gated symbol was drawn underneath that. What the hell? Where had this come from? How long had it been there for? Thinking rationally, I thought maybe it was one of the housemates who, prior to me moving in, had written down my details and just doodled on some paper. But it was a very specific doodle, if so. I folded it up and put it in my purse. Opening my phone, I seen Jonathan had sent five messages since 6am. That was unusual, to say the least. I sleep with my phone on silent, so I hadn't been aware when they'd came through. Hi, how did you sleep? Then another a half hour later. Hey, get back to me when you get this. Yet another. Listen, I had a really bad dream last night and I want to make sure you're okay. And I'm sure you're fine. Sorry if this is intense. Smiley face. And finally, have I done something wrong? Wow. Talk about red flags. I decided to leave him hanging until after I'd called and booked with the medium. 
I called and I spoke to someone who I guess is the old lady who worked at reception last time. She remembered me and my group of friends and said as I'd already been in, she would put me at the top of the waiting list for the next available appointment. Excellent. I got showered and ready and thought I'd head out for a coffee. Once settled, I'd reply to Jonathan. I stepped outside and pulled the door shut behind me. Hi, Lisa. I jumped out of my skin. Jonathan, what are you doing here? You scared me half to death, I spluttered. His eyes were wide, and he seemed quite anxious, although he'd done his best to hide it behind a smile. Oh, I I was just passing, so I thought I'd knock, that's all, he laughed. Fancy a coffee? Well, I was just going for one, but you can join me if you want, I replied. In the coffee shop, I debated telling Jonathan about the night before. However, I recalled our first meeting at the medium's house, where he warned that Laura's spirit may get out of hand. Therefore, given that's exactly what appears to be happening, I opted against it. Conversation was getting a little awkward. He was acting differently, and I knew I was too. It was like we were two different people than had met at the medium's house that day. My phone broke the silence and I hurriedly answered. You do? Yep. Tonight, six is fine. Yep. Brilliant. Thank you. I ended the call. Hot date, joked Jonathan. I pulled a face and said, Actually, I'm going to see that medium, the place where I met you. At this, Jonathan's forced smile dropped and his face became serious and severe. Why? She was useless for me, he snorted. Well, because I want to. Besides, you didn't say she was bad at the time, and all my friends swore by her. Jonathan stood and put his coat on. I didn't say she was good either. Listen, I've got to go. I'll I'll call you later. His total 180 in attitude was clearly reflected in my face, and I just gave him a sarcastic thumbs up. Seriously, what was this guy's issue? Well, that would become clear later that day. I sat in front of the medium and she was not what I expected. Short spiked hair, dyed bright red. An oversized dress shirt buttoned up to the neck. But she had the frailest bird-like voice that didn't match what my eyes were seeing. She asked what made me come. And I told her I'd been before with my friends but there wasn't space. I described my friends to her, and she said, Ah, I remember. Such lovely girls. I nodded. Oh, and my boyfriend came that same day, too. Funny enough, this is where I met him. She pulled an almost confused face. Right, okay. Anyway, what can I help you with today? I told her all about the happenings in my room, my belief that this was my sister trying in her own way to protect me. She closed her eyes, and after a while she said, Is it Laura? I almost fell off my chair. Yes, I nodded. She started shaking her head, a frown on her face. She says it's not her. She says she's been, she mimed pushing something with her hands. Blocked recently. The medium then opened her eyes held up a finger and said, 
One moment, please. She stared intently through the table. Your boyfriend, do you have a picture of him? Bewildered at the question, I nodded and got my phone out. I quickly found a picture of us both and showed it to her. She bit her lip and nodded at the screen. Okay, she said. Okay. She sat back in her chair. I didn't do a reading for that boy. But he came out of this room, I said defiantly. Yes, he did. But he wasn't here long. He said he wanted information on how to move a curse on to someone else. He said his uncle cursed him on his deathbed, and now he was being haunted, and that he'd heard the only way to rid himself was to find the curse a new home. I was numb, but I could feel myself nodding along. I told him I wouldn't help him even if I could. He got up and he stormed out. I think whatever's happening to you is down to him. I could barely think straight. How? How how could he even do that, though? The medium looked at me. Well, a number of ways, really. Through gifts, even food. Basically, anything he gives you, he could have endowed with its essence. I pulled out the note from my purse. Like this, I said, pushing it across the table. The medium opened it. Her eyes went wide. He gave you this. I didn't nod or shake my head. I found it under my bed, I muttered back. She moved the paper to one side of her desk. I'll take care of that. Now, listen. You need to break it off with this boy. Never let him in your house again. She opened a drawer to her right. Take this, she said, handing me some sage. Light it, then blow it out. Go in each corner of every room in your house and get rid of anything that was his. Pray to your God every morning and night and you should be okay. If not, come back and see me. Well, that's exactly what I did. Interestingly, Jonathan didn't challenge me at all when I texted him to say I never wanted to see him again. I think he knew the medium had rumbled his plan. Either way, I'm happy to say the only thing close to paranormal that I experience these days is my sister's perfume on the odd night I'm alone in the house. And it's a beautiful and welcome smell. I've no idea what happened to Jonathan. I've never googled or looked him up online. And I've no interest in where he is or how he's doing. But sometimes I do wonder to myself if he ever managed to pass on his burden or if it finally claimed him. Wow, what an experience to have. And thank you so much for sending that tale in. The one thing that this does make me think about is the number of times that people may have assumed a loved one has been the spirit in their company, when in fact it could have been something much more malevolent that was just trying to get you on side. We're all aware of the troped warnings around a Ouija board. If it's a young child coming through, or if it's an elderly person coming through, you're meant to be on your guard, because it could well be an evil spirit 
trying to lull you into a false sense of security. But what, to go very dark for a moment, what if we view those visions of loved ones at the point of death in the same way? What if, and it's not inconceivable, the spirit that the dying person is smiling at in the belief it's a family member coming to guide them to the afterlife is in fact the same sort of evil spirit who pretends to be a child on a Ouija board. It's a chilling thought, and one I will leave you with until next time. Thank you so much for once again choosing to spend your time with me here on the show. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you on Sunday for our episode of Dark Bites. And for everyone else, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time on The Dark Paranormal.